This is Annie Delaver, shaman of Avalon. Today I'm going to talk to you about what a shaman is and what a shaman does. But first of all, we will need to discuss the word itself, shaman, because there's a lot of nonsense talked about whether someone in the West can call themselves a shaman, and some object to it because they say shaman is a Siberian word, and as they say, we're not Siberians. Well, they're right that it's a Siberian word, but the truth is, a real shaman today practices in the exact same way as did those shamans of old. And what's more, if we're Caucasians, which most white-skinned people are, we come from ancestors who were nomadic and roamed the Russian steppes as far as Siberia. So that's where our genetic stream stretches us far back too. We do the exact same job as our ancestors in Siberia did in their time before the end of the last ice age, and their wisdom is written in our genetic stock. Just like those shamans, we journey into the other worlds to talk with the spirits there and receive healing and guidance for individuals or for communities. We also bring back lost souls and guide the deceased to their final resting places. So I felt I had to make this video because some people say that if we were real shamans, we wouldn't tell people, we would let others make up their own minds. Well, to them I reply, how can people make up their own minds when they have no clue that shamans exist? Or even if they do know they exist, what shamans are for? Let alone the qualities that would make someone a shaman. It would be like someone living in the age before Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas being able to recognise a Native American that was passing them on the street. They wouldn't be able to, and at least the Native American might stand out with their colourful ethnic clothing and their feathers. But we shamans just look like everyone else. So if we don't give ourselves the right name, then how will people know where to find us when they're looking for someone who can really talk to the spirits? The Romans did a very good job of cancelling and doxing shamanism across the whole of their empire. And so the knowledge about it across the so-called civilised West has been driven underground for more than 1500 years. They've made it difficult enough for people to comprehend what we do without us overcomplicating it by coming over all apologetic and self-effacing and vague. We also need to differentiate ourselves from the new, new age potpourri of so-called spiritual healers, not least because shamanism is not new age, it is older than the hills. Not every mind-body-spirit healer with a set of tarot cards and crystals can talk to the spirits. And I would go even further to say that, judging from my experience, not many mind-body-spirit healers can talk to the spirits. They may have a vague sense or hope that spirit guides are supporting their work, and they are probably right, but it is usually just a matter of faith. They don't actually leave this world to go to the one of the spirits to talk to them face to face, like we shamans do. My point is, if we real shamans don't own this word shaman, then every Tom, Dick and snake oil salesman will take it from us 
and use it to make a silk purse out of the sow's ear of their own mediocre skills. But then history is full of false priests selling their wares and so I don't expect to be able to stop that. I will say though that we are definitely not spirit mediums and even famous clairvoyants are usually just highly skilled hypnotists. They entrance you just long enough for you to cross their palm with some suitable plastic and exit through their beaded curtain. They're mostly successful with clients who are very suggestible. You'd have to be quite suggestible in the first place to go to one. Also, few of us like to admit to being ripped off and so we just shove the whole tacky experience to the back of our minds and we cling on to the straws of the one or two things that the clairvoyant did manage to get right, in the same way that even a broken clock is right twice a day. But we shamans are the real deal. We are those who, when in trance, have a fire raging in our heads, or the mystical heat, as it's known in many shamanic cultures, from, yes, Siberia, but also from all over Africa, Australia, Scandinavia, the Mediterranean countries, and Asia. And the one key characteristic that separates shamans from everyone else is that mystical heat. Once you've been actively practicing shamanism for a few years at least, then you would experience the fire in the head, as it's sometimes called. I've talked in previous videos about the late professor of the history of religion, Mercy Aliad, and his book, Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy. This is just a collation of anthropologist reports from the end of the 19th century. Those guys have been sent out from the British Empire to observe shamans in situ in their indigenous tribes all over the world, to interview them and find out what they experienced. Here is what Eliad surmised from those reports on the mystical fire in the head of the shaman. He says, of particular importance in our view is the role of fire and heat in shamanism. Such fire and mystical heat are always connected with access to a certain ecstatic state. And the same connection is observed in the most archaic strata of magical and universal religion. Mastery over fire, insensibility to heat and hence the mystical heat that renders both extreme cold and the temperature of burning coals supportable is a unique spiritual virtue that's accompanied by no less marvellous qualities such as ascent and magical flight etc and translates into sensible terms the fact that the shaman has passed beyond the human condition and already has shares in the condition of spirits. Professor Elliot then goes on to support his contention that shamans are halfway to becoming spirits, that they are in fact half-living in the realms of the spirits. And so yes, this is my experience too. I talk to the spirits and spend so much time with them that I feel as much a part of their world as I am this one. I also experience the fire in the head and increasingly so since I started working more closely with one of the main overlighting spirits of Avalon, known as Bridget of the Fae, whose law was brought to these isles by the fire priests of the Brigantes thousands of years ago. The ancient Celts, who they became, knew about the fire in the head. We hear about it in the last line of this song of the shaman emerging as he stepped onto the shores of Ireland 
with the conquering Milesians sometime after the last ice age. I am the wind that blows across the sea. I am a wave of the deep. I am the roar of the ocean. I am the stag of seven battles. I am a hawk on the cliff. I am a ray of sunlight. I am the greenest of plants. I am the wild boar. I am the salmon in the river. I am a lake on the plain. I am the word of knowledge. I am the point of a spear. I am the lure beyond the ends of the earth. I am the god who fashions fire in the head. I hasten to add, because if you're familiar with my work, you know I talk a lot about metaphors in mist, but this fire is not a metaphor. It is not like the icon for, say, idea, the light bulb, although it is probably where the image came from. This fire is actually like a hot cinder that burns in our heads when we're in trance. It isn't painful, by the way, um, and it is associated in mythology with great supernatural feats. The great Celtic warrior Cuchulain was said to show the hero's light or flaming aura around his head when he was excited and frenzied for battle. According to the stories, when the light appeared, he could perform his most famous salmon's leap and cover great distances or heights. This aura eventually was co-opted by the Christian church to become halos around the heads of their saints. Even today, we hear that some Tibetan yogis um, can raise their body temperatures to melt snow. And the I King in Africa call this natural body heat boiling energy. The Danish explorer Nad Rasmussen met with some Angakoks, Eskimo shamans, who told him every real shaman has to feel an illumination in his body, in the inside of his head or in his brain, something that gleams like fire, that gives him the power, the power to see with closed eyes into the darkness, into the hidden things, or into the future, or into the secrets of another man. The Jivara of the Amazon described the shaman as one who gives off light, particularly in a crown, an aura from the head, when the shaman is in an altered state of consciousness. So I'm sorry, but we shamans are not at all fit for polite society. We do talk to real spirits, which we find in other dimensions to this one, and we guide the dead and we retrieve lost souls. Some of us, me included, have even spent a whole night buried six feet underground in graves, which we dug ourselves as part of our initiations. Other of us, me included, have been gifted with a tongue that never lies, which can be a boon or a curse, depending upon the situation you're in. I once got thrown out of a magical coven for this crime. But added to that, we can sometimes be seen lying twitching on the ground with light streaming out of our heads. So you may not want to take us home to meet your mother, but if you need a proper job done, we're your man. A shaman is a man or woman who crosses into other dimensions where he or she obtains information, guidance and healing from the benevolent entities that she or he meets in those dimensions. Those entities have been given many names throughout history, devas, spirits, gods. In Australian Aborigine practice, they are called the Buddhians. To the Lakota tribes, they are the Wakantanka, and to the West Indians, they are the Contomble. 
The shaman then brings this information, guidance and healing that he or she gleans from these entities back to his or her tribe or community. The shaman crosses into those other dimensions while in a trance state. This is what's known as the shamanic journey. It is not a physical journey. The shaman's physical body does not go anywhere. If you saw a shaman while they were crossing into another dimension, all you would see would be his or her body prone on the floor, looking like someone who's asleep, except for the occasional twitch as the otherworldly power surges through. The trance state is also known to scientists as the theta state. They have found that if a person is exposed to a certain rhythm, which is between four and seven beats per second, their brain will enter what they call the theta state. But this is why shamans use drums, and the beating of the drum is the usual classical way that a shaman enters a trance, although there are many other ways including, for example, the ingestion of psychotropic herbs and mushrooms which spark up the body's natural DMT to help open the third eye. Prolonged darkness as well would do the same thing. It is sometimes said that the shaman lives in two worlds. That's because he or she exists in two simultaneous realities. They are the inner dream space in which the spiritual encounters transform perception of the external world and the external world which becomes a stage on which a shaman acts out his or her divine purpose and destiny. I think this quote from the Giwa, the Tibetan death rite, explains it quite well. Each time the shaman enters trance for the good of patience and community and confronts the agents of affliction, there is psychological integration for the shaman. The shaman brings together heaven and earth, spirit and humankind. Shamanism appears in every culture. Amongst Tibetan people, where it's known as Bon Po, it predates and is woven into Buddhist philosophy and practice. And it is a vital and living wisdom tradition, practiced from ancient times into the present day. End of quote. So, how do you find a genuine shaman? How do you sort the wheat from the chaff? Well, you usually know when someone hasn't a clue what a shaman is, even when they pretend to be one, when they use the word shay-woman or shamanka to denote a female shaman, or they say shay-men, M-E-N, for the plural of a shaman. There is no female nomenclature for shaman, just as there is no female equivalent for butcher, baker or grocer. In other words, the man bit of the Siberian word shaman does not refer to the male of the species. It is not gender specific and that's why it would be incorrect to call shamans in the plural, shamen. The correct term would be a bunch of shamans or a gaggle of shamans or something like that. If you can think of a better collective noun, please do leave it in the comments below. Anyway, as I mentioned, the word shaman comes from Siberia, but the original source of the practice itself was not confined to that part of Russia. Going right back into prehistory, there were shamans of one kind or another all over the world, 
in every populated country. There are lots of different sorts of healings that shamans do and I'll mention a few of the most commonly practiced ones next. Basically, shamanic healing would not be the ideal first port of call for mending, say, a broken leg or a broken arm. It's more about restoring the health of your mind, body, spirit and overcoming all the obstacles that no longer serve you in your life's journey. And it is transformative in that way and rejuvenating and revolutionary. If you're feeling like you're in the doldrums, shamanic healing will kickstart your life. If you're feeling stymied at every turn, it might be that it is being caused by unresolved trauma in which you feel you have to keep revisiting the scene of the crime. A soul, retri- a soul retrieval will usually sort that out. I usually begin with shamanic counselling which is about getting advice and healing for what's causing you to suffer. And I get that advice and healing from your own guiding spirits. Whether you've met them or not, it doesn't matter, they exist. I also specifically teach the way of Bridget, which is an ancient route to spiritual transformation and initiation into the underworld. On top of that, I work on the land, alongside the spirits of the land, in an act of consecration. And I take people through darkness training in which they become more easily able to open their third eyes through the use of their own natural innate DMT. So I'm more a guide or teacher to shamans than an actual shamanic healer. But I sometimes do that too when necessary. Another great thing that a shaman can do is to help you reclaim your power after it has been stolen from you. And we also perform the aforementioned soul retrievals. In other words, finding and returning a lost soul fragment after it got lost or was stolen. If that's what's happening to you, it can really cause problems in your life. You just don't seem to be getting anywhere and you keep hitting brick walls. It's often why. Um, Some shamans, although not, not me, can control the weather. But I do help to ferry the souls of the dead to the next destination when a person dies suddenly and traumatically and gets stuck on the astral planes. And this shamanic practice is known as psychopomping. So I hope all this has given you some idea about what a shaman is and what a shaman does. And if anything's still not clear, do leave a comment below and ask me about it because I always do answer questions in the comments. You've been listening to me, Annie Delaver. All my books are on Amazon, and if you'd like to support my work, I'm on Patreon as Shaman of Avalon.